0: All right, now um, we're going to read from God's word. This morning we're going to read from John 17. I'm I'm going to be preaching on John 17, verse 3, but to give us a little bit of context, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. This is a prayer of Jesus. It's uh, the longest prayer we have from Jesus, and it's the prayer, one of the prayers that he prayed before he died. It's a prayer for people uh, whom he loved. John 17, 1 through 5. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The word of the Lord. Well, today is Christmas Eve. And for a lot of people, you experience, there's there's a bit of a thrill that you experience during this season. Maybe some of that's, you've got, Time off from work, maybe there are friends and family gathering together, and you 're looking forward forward to that and and if you 're a kid, maybe especially if you 're a kid, there are there are presents and that excites you with all of that for plenty of people, this is also this is also a difficult time of year because this time of year may be the time of year that you lost loved ones it can be A difficult time of year because maybe this time of year you're especially aware of a relationship that you lost this year and and now there's someone that you'll be avoiding this Christmas. Or maybe this this time of year is difficult because you lost your job. And so that can make, for you, that can make Christmas complex. There are people around you and there's plenty of cheer and maybe you experience some cheer but at the same time, and in the middle of that, you're also, you're also choked up. Uh, you're, you're in more social gatherings than usual. And there are smiles that are put on. Maybe you put on smiles. Maybe they're genuine smiles. But at the same time, you're, there's something about you that's numb inside. Or maybe with the mix of, of all of that smiling, you're also numbing yourself just to get through it. And so this morning, I have selected a Christmas passage that handles the complexity of Christmas John 17:3 and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent that's our text for this morning i want to look at three things about christmas in this passage the first thing is this christmas comes in darkness christmas comes in darkness Now, that shouldn't actually sound strange to you, that Christmas comes in darkness. We know that Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ, and that birth, if you're familiar with all the texts and even the songs about Christmas, that birth was noted at nighttime. Think of the famous carols, some of the famous hymns, Silent Night. There's also O Holy Night. And those things reference the night With respect to Christmas, because it says in Luke 2, Mary gives birth to a son, Jesus, and in the same region, heaven sends the birth announcement. And to whom does it come? It comes to herdsmen. And when does it come to them? It comes to them at night. And so, from all that we can tell, the birth of Jesus came at night. Christmas came at night, Christmas came in darkness. Now, the darkness was not random, the darkness was symbolic. The darkness was not only talking about solar darkness. Christmas came in moral darkness. Christmas came during evil days. The times were bad. It was darkness not because the sun was down. That's not only why it was dark. It was dark because evil abounded. It was dark because sin was abounding. And so when it says, John seventeen three, this is eternal life that they may know you, This is eternal life that they may know you. There are two implications. One implication is this. When it says this is eternal life, it's saying you lack eternal life. Jesus came, Christmas came, because we were lacking eternal life. And if that's true, if we lack eternal life, that means we're living with life that is not eternal. We are living and experiencing life that ends. We live in the shadow of death. All of our days, death casts its shadow over our lives. And so we live darkened lives. That tells us, this this little phrase, this is eternal life, it tells us life is broken, and you know that. Another implication of this, when it says that they may know you, well, not only is it saying that we lack eternal life, that life is broken, it also is telling us that we don't know God. We needed to know God. We don't know God and that tells us we have darkened minds. Lives are darkened, but our minds are also darkened. It means we're distant from God. The starting point for all of us in the human race is that we are far from God. That's that's true in the context of John. As we saw a few weeks ago, John chapter 1 verse 5 it says, "And light, speaking of Christ, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so Christmas comes to darkened minds. Christmas comes to darkened lives. This is, this is, this is amplified in many places in the Bible. One place that, that spells it out with more detail is Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, verse 20, it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And what's, what's that saying there? It's saying that there's a, there's a prejudice inside of all of us, a prejudice against God. It's saying, we knew God. It says, we knew God clearly. They knew God, they did not glorify him. They knew God, but they became futile in their thoughts. It's saying, we knew God. It says, God is clearly seen, but we closed our hearts to him. We closed our eyes to him. We closed our hearts to him. And so that's humbling. And that's humbling because I think all of us, generally speaking, all of us would like to say and like to think that we're objective. We're objective and we're fair-minded. Nobody, nobody wants to admit that they're prejudiced, prejudice in their thinking, prejudice in how they evaluate situations. But what this is saying is that fundamentally, we begin in prejudice against God. And so that means if you really believe this and if this is really true, this is how you really need to This is your posture. This is what it needs to be in all things towards God, but really towards all the important questions of life. This means you need to distrust your objectivity. You need to distrust your own ability to be objective about anything. It means that our perspective always skews. Our perspective is always slanted. There's this pull, this gravitational pull. And so that means you may think you know what your in-laws ought to be doing, but you need to distrust your objectivity and know that it skews. You may think that you know what your government ought to be doing and should do and should have done, but you need to distrust how objective you really are. It means you may even be sure you know what your mechanic should have done. We are in darkness. We're in a spiritual darkness that affects everything. That means we should have a humble assessment of our own personal capacity to solve our spiritual problems, to solve our big problems. We are, in reality, we are blind people trying to make glass eyes. So we have this prejudice. We also have our practices. That's another way that we live in darkness. We have our practices. Because from our our morally darkened hearts, from that flow, immoral actions Morally darkened behavior. Our spiritual darkness produces moral darkness. Romans 1.28, it continues. It says, even as they, and it's just speaking of all humanity, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that are not fitting. Our mind was darkened, and so then we were given over to do things that are darkened. And there in Romans 1, it lists things. It lists sexual harm because we're darkened that's why we harm one another sexually and then it lists greed and envy that's why we get into the grip of I want stuff I want more stuff I will take stuff I'm unhappy with what I don't have it says we give ourselves over to deeds of hatred people that we hate people that we actively dislike and will tear down lying pride the way we get so puffed up over foolish things our inability to forgive others. All of those things are, are darkened actions that flow from our darkened hearts. And it's really easy to see it in other people, isn't it? You, you can think of people right now, if I were to say, do you know anyone who, who's proud and arrogant? You can think of someone, can't you? Can you think of someone who is unable to forgive? Someone who is sexually harmful to others? Can you think of people like that? You can see it in others. Can you see darkened actions in yourself. We are guilty. The word here is saying you are guilty. Now, three questions to ask to be able to tell if you're guilty. And I think this is worth bringing up because these days people just don't talk very much about guilt. There are a lot of strong things in play right now, uh, things that people are identifying, but here's something that really doesn't get much airtime, and it's guilt, but guilt is still there. Three questions you can ask yourself to see am I guilty? First question, are you hiding something? Are you hiding something? Do you have a secret? Do you have a secret that you protect because it's something that you did wrong and you don't want it to be known? Are you hiding something? Secondly, is something holding on to you? Does something have a hold on you? There's some behavior in your life that you can't stop, some attitude that you have that you can't Change, but you know you should stop the behavior. You know the attitude needs to change. It could be the way that you talk to your own mother. It could be the way that you talk to your own son. It, whatever it is, it's got a power over you. Even though you want to stop it, it has to stop, but you can't stop. Does something have a hold on you? So are you hiding something? Does some, are you, is something holding on to you? The third question, are you hurting someone? Are you hurting someone? Are, are you causing tears for someone? Uh, the way you talk to them. The way you may withhold compassion from them. The way you may look down at someone. Are you hurting someone? So three, three questions to, to help. Are, are you guilty? Cr- Christmas comes to a darkened world. And, and the darkness is the cause of all of the grief around us, all of the evil that we see and experience. Romans eight twenty says, for the creation was subjected to futility, to the bondage of corruption, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And so that means this darkness, this groaning of all the creation caused by the darkness This is the cause of of why your mother's situation is deteriorating. This is the cause for why you've got a broken heart in your love life. This is the reason why you've got this great disappointment in ministry. And this is why our society is so broken. And so what this means is, if Christmas comes in darkness, the real setting for Christmas is not cheer, but the real setting for Christmas is the greatest tragedy Christmas comes when everything has gone wrong. Christmas comes into your darkness. Christmas comes into your broken and your groaning world. Are you weary today? Are you just so worn out from everything this year? Are you weeping even this morning? When you, when you gather with other people and there's tree, the tree and it's all lit up, will there be tears for you at the tree? Tears about something that's badly broken and likely will never get put back together, it seems. Are you guilty today? Are you struggling with a secret? It's a live secret that you keep buried, but you can't confess it, and you won't address it. Christmas comes in darkness. The world is in darkness. We are in darkness. We got a new heat system this week. I think it's working. Is it working a little bit too well for people okay it's working we got what we paid for it's okay if we dial it back a little bit we'll let the heat come from the message and not from the hvac okay all right the second thing we're going to look at christmas comes in darkness second thing the christmas gift the christmas gift is a person not a package the christmas gift is a person not a A package. Now consider the the, the typical associations that we have with Christmas. What, What are some of the associations? There's there's the Christmas music, there's there are the trees, there are the gatherings, there are the cookies. All of that is great. There are also the gifts, the presents. And that is a very appropriate association with Christmas, the gifts. Because the Christmas gift, the Christmas gift is Jesus. Listen to the gift language that's used about Jesus. It's in our passage, John seventeen three. It says, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus was sent. The Christmas gift, it's a person, the son, Jesus. Listen to more gift language, Isaiah nine, six. Very familiar at this time of year. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. He's a gift. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so all this is telling us that in our doctrine of salvation, our soteriology, it emphasizes that the son was sent to us from heaven to save us. The gift of Christmas is the son, a person. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the gift. Now let's talk about, just for a, a little bit here, let's talk about the difference between a package gift and a person gift. A package gift and a person gift. Let me give you an illustration of a, a package gift. When I was eight, I, 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 had, I have these very strong memories of a package gift that I received when I was eight. It was, I think it was, it was the first year for the first generation of all toys created because of Star Wars. It's crazy. It's about 45 years ago and just how much Star Wars toys are. But this is the first generation and I received this toy and it was exactly what I'd asked for. And it actually lived up to every excitement and imagination that was stirred by all those commercials that we were seeing. I loved it. I played with it for years. It was wonderful. It's actually now available used on eBay for $250, like a tenfold increase. But it was just a package. Let me give you an example of a gift that's a person gift. Not when I was eight, but when I was 28, I received something of a, a person gift. On Christmas, when I was 28, a daughter was born to us. A person. What's the difference between the package, the toy that I treasured, and the person gift? Well, the toy was fun. I treasured it, I loved it, but it never loved me back. It could never love me. But the person, that baby who was born on Christmas, who is now my daughter, she knows me. And today, she prays for me. She will ask me when we're, we're talking, Daddy, how can I pray for you? And then she'll pray for me. I love her. And unlike that toy back when I was eight, she loves me. When the gift is a person, you receive two things in that kind of gift. You receive the gift of knowing and you receive the gift of being known. You receive the gift of knowing and you receive the gift of being known. And in this gift, here's what we we find in this person gift where Jesus is the gift. God wants you to know him john seventeen three that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, now what does it mean to be to know a person? what does it mean to know a person and to be known by a person, specifically by god so let 's look a little bit at what does it mean to 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 be known by a person to be known by someone i, I don 't think it 's exaggerating to say that this this is one of our deep human longings. You could even say this is one of our our deep needs as human beings. We want to be known. We want to be known by someone else. That's exactly what keeps social media working. That's why so many people are willing to pour themselves into social media. What are people often asking for with what they post, what what they portray in images about themselves? You're, you're saying, see me. You're, you're saying, no. would you know me? And what you're asking is, would you, would you like me? This is one of our, our deep human fears also. It's one of our desires and it's one of our fears because what we put out there, whether it's in social media or just in living, this is what we fear. If you knew me, you would not like me. And, and isn't that what can happen? on social media, you post something, you post an image, you post a thought, but what would happen if your picture got zero likes? What would happen if you put your comment out there and you get zero likes? What would it mean if the real message is you have zero likes? The the disappointment there, the hurt there. That's why when people speak evil of us, when people ghost us, it hurts. We, we want to be known. And, and so maybe for you, this Christmas is complex because there are people. There are people who have known you and now they don't want you. Maybe this Christmas is complex because there are people who have, you know this is true, people who have crossed you off their invitation list this year. Maybe it's complex because there are people who won't be sending you a gift this year. Did someone cross you off their Christmas gift list this year? This Christmas? Know this, God added you to his gift list. John 17, 3, Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. God wants to know you. Now, how do we apply this? Briefly, first of all, you should, if you're a believer, you should feel loved. You should dare to feel loved. Because gifts express love. Gifts demonstrate that there's love. God's gift expresses God's love to you, believer. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if you remember only one thing, if you remember only one thing this morning, I wish you would remember this. Believer, God loves you. God wants you to know him. So we apply this by, by feeling, sensing God's love. We also apply this by showing God's love, showing love. Are there people? Are there even people here in, in this room? People who are alone, who will be alone this coming Christmas week. Can you show them? In some way, can you show them that you want to know them, show them love? Is there some way you could get together together? Show them that you're on their heart, in their minds. Some way you could invite them over. Some way you could call them. Can you show love? So that's some of what it means to, to be known. To be known by a person. What does it mean to know a person? What does it mean to know this person? To know God? What does it mean? He says in John seventeen three, this is eternal life that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ. What does it mean to know God, to know Jesus? Well, as we've said often here, knowing God is, is more than knowing about God. It involves knowing about God, but it's more than that. What's knowing God like? What is it like? It is, it is unlike anything else. It, there's nothing like it. For one thing, knowing God, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a joyful Intimacy in it. There are places that many places speak of this. Psalm 73, 25. The believer says, Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. This joyful intimacy, it's like this. You're 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 close to God. It means you're aware of God. It means you live your days glad in God. So there's a, there's a joyful intimacy in knowing God. There's also a, there's a glory in it. There's a glory. It means there's, there's something that gives you a lift. There's an elevation for you in knowing God. Think of places like Hebrews 8. It's quoting Jeremiah 9. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. What this is saying is that if you know God, you know the most fascinating, the most accomplished, the most passionate person on the planet. You know them, and they know you. And, and that is going to be unlike anything else. There's a glory in just the association with that being. If you try to find glory, if you try to find knowing, being known, if you try to find that from some other human relationship, If you try to put that kind of relationship hunger, a hunger for that kind of relationship, that kind of expectation on another person, that person, that other person is going to be suffocated. That other person is going to feel claustrophobic in that relationship because it will be impossible to meet all of your demands. And and if you put that kind of expectation on another person, you're going to end up frustrated. You're going to end up very dissatisfied, and you're going to just always be trying to wring more out of that other person no mere person, no mere person can give you the time the the understanding the affection that you need but God, who is full of righteousness loving kindness just justice on the earth God God can now. Knowing God. Are we talking about something only something can can have if you have an advanced degree, if you spent years, decades, plowing scripture and theology? No. Who can know God? Children, you can know God. Think of the, the boy Samuel, First Samuel 3. The boy Samuel minister, ministered to the Lord, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Before the lamp of God went out at nighttime, in the darkness, went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. While the boy Samuel was lying down, the Lord called to Samuel. Now the Lord came and stood and called out as other at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Who can know God? Children. You can know God. But not just children. Older people, you can be far into the years, the twilight years even, of your your life on earth. You also can know God. Think about Moses, Moses in his 80s, Moses in his 90s, in his 100s. Exodus 33, the Lord talked with Moses. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What kind of friendship did Moses and the Lord have? Moses knew God, Moses was a friend of God. God was such a friend of Moses that God was the only person to attend the funeral, the burial of Moses. And so children can know God, older people can know God, and all you busy, busy men and women in between, you can know God too. Now, how do you, how? How do you know God? How can you be known by God? Is it by learning? Is it by studying? Well, in part, yes, you, you need to hear the word regularly. You need to read the word regularly. In part, that's how you know God, but it's not enough. Is it, by, is it by improving your behavior? Is it by church attendance? Is it by diligent time set aside each day to pray and to seek the Lord? Is it by observing the practices of Christianity? Well, that, that can be part of it, but no. Ultimately, that's still not enough to know God to know God, and this is, this is why this is Christmas, to know God, you must receive the Christmas gift. You just receive it. Listen to the gift language that surrounds this. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. To know God, it's received, not earned. Earned means, earned means, you know, it's, it's crunch time at the job and so everyone, you included, are, you're having to put in like 70 hour weeks at work. But you're doing it and as you do it, you're expecting there's going to be some payoff. There'll be some promotion that will come out of this, some kind of raise, some kind of increase of your reputation with the boss. And at the end, at the end of crunch time, and you've been clocking 70-hour weeks for two or three weeks, if the boss gives you a bonus, gives you a big present, and it's wrapped up, and it's tied with a bow, it's not really a gift, is it? You earned that. You worked for it. That's what earned means. But if something's received, received means something like this. It means you are out driving your dad's car. You're driving your dad's early retirement car, so it's a nicer car. Maybe it's actually new. You were driving it, but the road was wet, and you swerved, and you wrecked your dad's car. And received means this. Your dad comes to you the next day and he says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Here. Here are some keys to a new car of your own. And he hands you keys. He hands you keys not to his new car, but to a new car for you. That's a gift. You didn't earn it. You can, all you can do is receive it. In the gospel, we see the ultimate gift which is received, not achieved, not earned. It go, and this is a gift that goes in two directions. This is what you see in the gospel. Jesus received something that he didn't earn and we who believe receive something that we did not achieve. In the gospel, Jesus received blame and punishment and wrath that he never earned. The guilt and death that we had earned were given to him. And we see that Jesus was willing. Jesus was willing to be wrongly known. Jesus was willing to be misrepresented so that we could know God, the only true God. We also see this in the gospel. In the gospel, we see that Jesus received, Jesus lived a flawless life. He always showed up. He always did it right. He didn't say the wrong thing. He always held back from saying the wrong thing and he always said the right thing. Jesus lived this flawless life and we who believe receive a reward that we never achieved. We receive a righteousness by faith apart from the works of the law. If you believe, if you believe on Christ, God is pleased with you because of the law-keeping of Jesus Christ, not because of your law-keeping. Romans 3:20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. This morning, God offers you a gift. This is Christmas Eve. How do you receive it? How do you receive this gift? You admit and you ask. You admit and you ask. You admit. You say, I'm guilty. I'm tired of resisting, God. I admit and I confess my guilt. I'm turning to you, God. So you admit. And then you ask. You ask God, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for the sake of Christ? Will you lay all of my blame? Will you lay all of my punishment on Jesus? And will you accept me because of the good life of Jesus? God is offering you a gift. Whether you're a child, whether you're older, whether you're somewhere in the middle, wouldn't it be something to receive this gift on Christmas Eve? God wants you to know him. You might be hearing all this and you say, I'm unworthy. I am unworthy, and everyone knows it. To the guilty, God says, Isaiah 1, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Are you just weary and worn out this morning? Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you, are you weeping this morning? Is this a Christmas of tears for you? Jesus weeps with you. As your great high priest, Jesus sympathizes. But not only, not only does he weep over what's broken and dead, Jesus also is the one who will wipe away every tear. And so with this, we're going to close We've seen that Christmas comes in darkness. We've seen that the Christmas gift is a person, Christ. This is the third thing and we'll end with this. The Christmas gift lasts forever. The Christmas gift lasts forever. John 17:3 This is eternal life. Th- this gift, this knowing Jesus, it's eternal life. What what does that mean? This gift, knowing Jesus, will never go away. It lasts forever. The the toy that I got when I was eight, that was fun, but now the toy's gone. How is knowing God eternal life? Well, let me just list a few ways. Eternal life, here's what it means. Eternal life means an enduring name and an enduring reputation. It means that in Christ, through this gift, God has dealt with our sin. And so now God knows you. He knows your sins, but in Christ he's pleased with you, and it's going to be that way forever. It means your name is now written. Your name is written in the book of life. So it does not matter what people write about you online. It means it means because you've got this enduring reputation that completely shuts up self-loathing. When you despise yourself, this closes the mouth of that voice. When you have hate what you have become, when you hate what you have made of yourself, God saw, God sees what you've become, God sees what you've made of yourself, but he gives you a new identity and you're secure in the love of that new identity. So eternal life means an enduring name and an enduring reputation. Eternal life also means knowing the Lord. Eternal life means you're part of an enduring movement on this earth. You're part of an enduring movement on this earth. Knowing the Lord, it sets your mission. The mission, part of the mission is to spread the knowledge of the Lord. You know God, and so now you want to spread the knowledge of the Lord over this city, over the world. Habakkuk two fourteen. for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You have part now, you're joining in a global movement which cannot fail. This this passage assures us of success. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Think of how Daniel 4 describes it. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It will not come to an end. Jeremiah 31 You're you're, you're heading towards this day when no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. And so that means as you fulfill the mission of spreading the knowledge of the Lord, every little thing that you do, all of your tiny acts that wouldn't even be worth mentioning to other people, all of your tiny actions build something. And so whether you're praying for missionaries, or whether you're leaving home as a missionary, or or whether in ministry you do all of these things that nobody sees and they actually don't even seem to matter, in ministry all of your forgotten acts will be remembered. All of those four-year-olds that you taught ten years ago, the ride that you gave to a person six weeks ago and they never said thank you, the troubled person who spends two hours talking to you and you patiently listen to them, God will establish the work of your hands. And in doing that, he's building this cascading, crescendoing kingdom whose end will never, never come. Eternal life also means this. Eternal life means enduring joy. Joy that lasts forever. It means a song that begins on earth and it continues to ask you when, when is the last time that you were happy, you were so happy that you sang some song out loud? Christians, Christians of all people, you, Christian of all people, you have a reason to sing Psalm 89 I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. It's like that song Christ has come, go tell it. On the mountains, over the hill, and everywhere that Jesus Christ has come. Finally, eternal life means the repair of everything that's broken. It means the return of everything lost. Eden, but Eden never to be spoiled. The eternal Eden. And so you can take whatever situation is broken, you can take whatever relationship is broken, and you entrust it to the Lord. It says in Revelation 21 that when we are there in heaven and the the fullness of the kingdom has broken out and entered in and has landed on earth, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse. What did you lose this year? Whom did you lose this year? Christ came in darkness, but Christ will come again. And when Jesus comes again, the new day begins, which will never darken. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you come to us? You, Son of Righteousness, would you come to us? And may we know you and delight in you, and know eternal life. We thank you for this gift. We receive it, we could never have achieved it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.